0: to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this episode on Thursday, June 17th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, June 20th, 2021. My name is Reese Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-hosts, Emily
1: Scott and Jasmine Smith. How's it going this week, ladies? Um, taking it one day at a time, but uh, Juneteenth just became a federal holiday, which is really exciting. This Absolutely,
0: weekend. yes, I'm super hype. I'm doing all things black um <laughs> as I do all the time for Juneteenth, but this is definitely a great time in history for that.
2: I'm not as hype about it being a federal holiday. uh I'm glad for people like black- people who will be celebrating and everything um where this is airing though on Father's Day, so happy Father's Day, happy Father's everyone. Day to
0: everyone
2: yeah. um. And, you know, sending a thought to anyone that, you know, it might be a difficult day for some. So I hope that, you know, you're taking care of yourself if that's the case as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this week we will be discussing ranked choice voting in in the New York primary elections coming up next week. A clash between the Pope and U.S. bishops over abortion politics gang violence and displacement in Haiti, and some good news about a Native American tribe reclaiming some land in Maine. So I am going to kick off today's episode with our local story, which is about uh, ranked choice voting. Um, Information for this story is drawn from the New York Times article. All right. So when voters select their party's nominee for the mayor of New York City, they will find themselves filling out a different type of ballot this year. The city has began using ranked choice voting for primary elections, and this will begin next Tuesday on June 22nd. Instead of casting a single vote for a single candidate, voters in the ranked choice system select a set number of candidates in order of preference. In New York's mayoral primary, voters will be allowed to choose up to five Okay, so you'll mark your preferences by filling in a numbered bubble next to each candidate's name. You can rank as many candidates as the ballot allows, just one candidate or anything in between. So when you think about this, they had an image um, in the article kind of looks like a scantron sheet from like SAT test. The candidates will be listed on one side and then there'll be selections A through E because there's five of them. And then you fill in the bubble for your first choice, your second choice, so on and so forth. So I just wanted to give you guys kind of a visual of what it looks like. If a single candidate receives more than 50% of first choice votes in the first round, then he or she wins. And that's the end of the race. If no one exceeds 50% of the votes in the first round, the candidate in last place is eliminated and all other candidates move on to the next round
2: all the, this feels like survivor
0: right it's kind of like whoa and, and you know the the good thing about this article is it kind of gives us like how long and all of that um, I'm getting there but it is kind of like survival of the fittest um all the votes for the eliminated candidate will then be reallocated to whichever candidate those voters ranked second and then the votes are retabulated then the candidate in the last place after that will be eliminated so it's kind of like a countdown to see who, you know, who's still standing at the end. In New York's primary, these rounds of elimination will continue until there are only two candidates left. Even if a candidate collects more than 50% of the votes before the very end, the candidate will, with the most votes in the final round, wins. So you're still ultimately casting one vote for one candidate. Just kind of think of your vote is transferable, is what the article says. If your first choice is eliminated, then your vote vote transfers over to your next choice. So I'm just going to take a breath right there. To me, it seems like the top three is the most important thing. Like the candidates that you actually want to see in office are the things that you should, you should know the most because obviously if the one you want doesn't get trickled down, you definitely want someone else that you're interested in um, to be uh, second. But then again, you can only just cast one vote as well. And hopefully more people cast at that same vote. Um, New Yorkers registered with the political party can vote in the primary election on the 22nd or during the early voting period, which has been going on since June 12th. In addition to the mayor's race, you'll also be ranking candidates for borough president, comptroller, public advocate, and city council. Okay, so how long will all of this take? It's unclear. (laughs) The results of in-person voters, first choice candidates will be announced the night of the primary So we'll know pretty early which candidates are in the lead. But at least in the crowded mayor's race, it's more than likely that the official results won't be certified for a few weeks. Because of state law, absentee and affidavit ballots don't get counted until a few days after the election. And experts expect higher than usual numbers of absentee ballots because of the pandemic. The Board of Elections reviews all of these ballots to determine their eligibility and gives voters time to fix mistakes, a process that can take several weeks. Once all of the votes, early, day of, absentee, and affidavit have been tabulated, then the rounds of elimination will begin. Okay, so that's kind of the setup. Uh, Why are we using this system? Well, nearly 75% of New York City voters. Supported ranked choice voting in the 2019 ballot measure. The system has already been used um, this year in special city council elections in the Bronx and in Queens. So how does ranked choice voting change the way a candidate runs for office is kind of interesting. Uh, Fans of ranked choice voting often point out the candidates have to show that they would be a good representative for everyone. Also, candidates may highlight similarities with their rivals or even form alliances in an attempt to gather second and third choice votes votes as well as the first choice ones. So New York is not the only place that does this. There are other countries around the world um, that has been doing uh, choice rank voting for a while now. This is just kind of our first time doing it. Some other countries that do this, they do it in Ireland, um, in India, and in Australia, and they've been doing it for a long time. So I, I believe it can work. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where... If you're as invested to have a party affiliation, then this would be an opportunity for you to narrow it down. So since majority of our candidates this year are on the Democratic ticket, it should be interesting. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think about this system? Was that clear? Kind of know what's going on?
1: Yeah, I think that was a great summary. I um. so is New York the first American city
0: to do it? Um, according to the article, no, it's not. Okay. I'm trying to find the other cities that have done Got it. It. Um, it was something that was highly contested, I believe, um, for the last time that we can remember before the pandemic in 2019. Apparently, mm-hmm. it was on a, a bunch of different uh, ballots in different states to do this.
2: Yeah, I oh. thought it was a clear summary and it. it I'm excited. Like it really does. I I know it's not like a reality TV show, but (laughs) it kind of feels like, you know, who's going to get knocked off the island? Like, yeah, so I'm Mm -hmm. I'm glad and I do think that it makes a lot more sense because, you know, you don't always just have one person that you like, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's nice to know that you can still help them. Yeah, Um, I'm working the election, so I'll be a long day.
0: Yes, it is. Good job, guys. Proud of you. <laughs> you know, you got to put your money where your mouth is. I make duty. It's definitely an interesting time to be running for mayor of New York. Like so many things have happened over the last over the last term. Um, and just, yeah, I feel like New York's like not even the same city as it was before. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And the I mean, what you said to the the ranked choice voting and how it it could even like change the election cycle and the ad the types of, you know, the alliances and that sort of thing. Like making it a- making it not a zero sum game, right? Where yeah. you have like it's all or nothing, I think is it like feels kind of revolutionary, honestly, because our politic political system is so polarized, right? Like there's so yeah. much like you're either with us or against us. Um and that's pretty toxic. It's a pretty toxic environment to live in constantly because we're co- like in the way our world works these days, we're always in an election cycle, right? Everyone's always gearing up for the next election. So it's really interesting.
2: Yeah, it does. I, I was going to say it reminds me of reasons why people point to places that have multiple viable political parties. And one of the good things about that is there's a reason for parties to change platforms and things to try to curry favor with like voters that might go for some other party that maybe is to the left of them or to the right of them or whatever as opposed to like a winner take all thing where you're sort of encouraged to just completely disregard anyone that you don't already consider your base mm-hmm. right and it seems like you know this is not on the same level as having multiple political parties but it does seem to be like that's one of the similar benefits is that you know people are thinking more carefully about people's platforms like the yeah. politicians are thinking more carefully about who they can align themselves with and everything
0: have any of you ladies been able to watch any of the debates or are you you know aware of any candidates that are sticking out to you
1: um i have not watched the debates i've been a poor um <laughs> participant
2: does <laughs> of you i haven't watched them um i've just seen some clips I've just done some like cursory um reading up on and like listening to interviews with different candidates like I know um diane uh Diane Morales was one of them um I think her campaign has sort of taken a hit or like there was some controversy there um but i I feel discouraged that um Eric Adams is doing as well as he is 'cause a lot of his commercials and clips are like super pro police and kind of narky and Andrew Yang keeps making gaff after gaff. and he made a comment recently about um sure mentally ill people exist but so do we people with families and it's like uh mentally ill people also have fam- like they're also citizens and people so um I'm rambling a bit but I'm just I'm kind of aware of the people I definitely will not be voting for doing fairly well (laughs) in the numbers so on that note I do want to remind people you don't you can just pick who you actually like you don't have if you feel strongly that you do not want someone to be mayor you don't have to rank them last you don't have to rank them at all so like pick a solid Three people or whatever that you actually believe can do it and you care about, you don't have to rank like someone that you really don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Don't help them at all. Yeah.
0: Right. I think also like a strategy that I normally choose. Um, Because it's it's a lot of that we're voting for It's like four different positions, you know, so the mayor race is the one that is most highlighted. But some of those other ones, public advocate, the comptroller, uh, these are also important um, positions that we need to consider about how our city is run. I normally go into these things with which candidate has actually reached to me. Like which one is the easy which one has I have I seen in the you know media I consume or places that I go, which one seems like it's talking to my community? Because there's been many elections where I feel like none of the candidates ever even reached (laughs) to uh, the airwaves, the earwaves, the neighborhood. Like they never even reached down. The only one I've actually heard that made any sense was Ray McGuire. Um, I'm a little concerned that his background is in the financial sector that always, you know, follow the money, right? But He does have a platform where he talks a lot about creating jobs for all the sectors and small businesses that were shut down during the pandemic. Uh, He seems like a, you know, everyday type of guy, but he also seems like he is, you know, he's been endorsed by a whole bunch of um, artists and different things like that. So he's used their platforms. I think one time I was watching Instagram and he was like talking with Maxwell randomly um, on his ig live and i was like okay uh so i feel like he was putting in some effort but you know that's me i'm listening to music and these are the things i consume but you know i just want to encourage everybody like take a look at this stuff even if you're not voted in primaries it's actually good to just kind of see uh the alignments that are being formed as well so you can see what the the language is that we're expecting to come in november
2: Yeah. And also, if you're not, uh, I know sometimes people might be registered with a party or they forget or they're not sure if they registered in time. If you're not 100% sure, you can fill out an affidavit ballot at your polling site and they'll let you know after the fact, like if if you did miss a cutoff and it's not going to count, like they'll send you a letter with an explanation why it didn't count. But maybe you did register for the party in time or maybe there was a mistake and why your name isn't on the roll or something, and then it will be counted. So it's worth it to just, you know, make the effort, read up on the candidates as much as much as you can and go to the polls.
0: Absolutely. All right. So, yeah, we're going to go ahead and jump into our first music break. Thank you, ladies, for some stimulating conversation. We'll see how this all shakes down. Hopefully uh, by our next recording, we'll have some results because <laughs> it sounds like it's going to take a while for us to figure all of this out. Um, so our first track today uh, was inspired by the verses last night. It was uh, Eve against Trina it was the first female MC versus I was like screaming at the TV and super hype. Um, just because you know, I like hip hop. Uh, I grew up listening to these ladies. And it was just like a good flash down memory lane.
2: Did either one of you catch it? I was on Twitter watching people's comments, but I wasn't listening myself. <laughs> like I know, I know, uh, I could tell which song was playing by people's tweets.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, no, it was a good one, man. It was all love, you know. Both of them were really prepared. Um, Eve was broadcasting live from London, and Trina was in Miami, and they got to a point where they were all both doing like records that was produced by Missy Elliott, and it was just over. Yeah. Like it was just such good music. I was like, ah. Oh.
2: Um, I saw some clips I think when I tuned in I was a little bit like because you know how Versus started and it's so different from it now because I'm like there's like a crowd like what is going on like it started (laughs) out just people you know in front of their computer or whatever so I'm like I'll watch it later but yeah that's they're two very great um important female rappers for sure
0: Right, you know, and it and, and it really just spans like how female MCs have grown, you know, how they changed too. That's another big thing I noticed. Like, I don't know if people are gonna be singing the hip hop of today like we were singing it last night, you know. So, um, so anyway, this first track is dedicated to both of those ladies because it was just a phenomenal show. And this is um, this song is by Ludacris, "My Chick Bad" remix featuring Diamond, Trina, and Eve. We'll be right back. My,
3: cheek babe. Yeah. my <laughs> chick baby. Yeah, right? my chick do stuff that yeah. your chick wish hey. hey. The pussy rules my the world version. My you ready? chick do stuff that your Let's go my <laughs>
4: full of relish. Jimmy, true fetish keep me fresh like lettuce. (laughs) Bitches get jealous, cause I'm quite cocky since
0: 14. Name now, ho, stop me.
3: I cheat bad. I cheat hood. My chick do stuff
4: that your chick wishes could. We going to take it from the hood of Atlanta, Georgia. Down to the hoods of Miami, Florida. What up, Trina? I throw him. so good it make them wanna tattoo my lips on them ah. I'm so bad and I rap that hood Pussy stay wet, sex so good Ten years strong you should act like you know me Hair so fine make you do the hokey pokey A good stroke in and a good stroke out okay. Now that's what I'm all about
0: Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And Emily is up next with our
1: national news segment. All right. So this story comes from a June 14th uh, New York Times article by Jason Horowitz titled Vatican Warns U.S. Bishops Don't Deny Biden Communion Over Abortion. Uh, The article explains, quote, The Vatican has warned conservative American bishops to hit the brakes on their push to deny communion to politicians supportive of abortion rights, including President Biden, a faithful churchgoer and the first Roman Catholic to occupy the Oval Office in 60 years. Uh, But despite the remarkably public stop sign from Rome, uh, the American bishops are pressing ahead anyway and are expected to force a debate on the communion issue at a remote meeting that starts on Wednesday. Um, so I just want to take a moment to, uh, give a summary of what, like all the different church titles mean, um, since that's going to come up so often in this story, um, for anyone out there who like me needed a refresher or like maybe never knew this stuff to begin with. Um, so the Pope is the head. He's like the number one dude in the Catholic church in Rome. Um, cardinals are elect the Pope and were, are like his right hand, right hand men. Uh, bishops and archbishops um, take charge of the churches in their respective geographical areas, which are called dioceses. Um, and then below that, you know, there's something called vicar generals um, and then there's priests and then nuns and monks. Um, and thanks to dummies.com for that summary. Um, all right. So back to the story. Um, Quote, Pope Francis, along with the rest of his church's hierarchy, explicitly opposes abortion, which they consider among the gravest sins and incessantly speaks out against it. But that is not the same as punishing Catholic lawmakers with the denial of communion, which many here believe would be an intrusion into matters of state. And my response to that is no shit. Um, Jesuit priest Antonio Spidero, an ally of the popes, is quoted as saying The concern in the Vatican is not to use access to the Eucharist as a political weapon. So a little bit of a timeline. Uh, Quote, on May 1st, the arch-conservative bishop of San Francisco, Salvatore J. Cordillon, issued a letter arguing that erring Catholic politicians who supported abortion rights should be excluded from communion. Um, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, a Catholic and staunch supporter of abortion rights, is a parishioner in his San Francisco diocese. Soon after, Archbishop Gomez sent a letter to the Vatican's chief doctrinal office informing it that the American Bishops Conference was preparing to tackle the worthiness to receive Holy Communion by Catholic politicians who support abortion rights at their June meeting. The Vatican apparently had seen enough. On May 7th, Cardinal Ladaria wrote Archbishop Gomez urging caution. He said it would be misleading to present abortion and euthanasia as the only grave matters of Catholic moral and social teaching. If the American bishops were uh, were going to crack the door open on the communion issue, Cardinal Ladaria added ominously, they should be prepared to consider extending the policy to all Catholics rather than only one category of Catholics. The matter seemed settled. It wasn't. On May 22nd, Archbishop Gomez sent a letter to the American bishops defending the decision to schedule a vote, arguing, critics say with shocking disingenuousness, that doing so reflects recent guidance from the Holy See. Um, So it should come as no surprise that some bishops in the U.S. were fans of Trump, and they, quote, now want to reassert the centrality of opposition to abortion in the Catholic faith and lay down a hard line, especially with a liberal Catholic in the Oval Office. Um, So it looks like there are enough conservative bishops in the U.S. to vote to draft a document that teaches about who is allowed to receive communion. Um, But it looks like there are not enough votes to ratify that thing without the approval of the Vatican, which it sounds like they're not going to get. And the Archbishop of Washington, uh, Cardinal Wilton Gregory, has made it clear that he will not deny Biden communion over this. Um, So a clash between the Vatican and Catholic leaders in America has been brewing for a while quote, some clergy close to Francis in the Vatican say privately that elements within the American church have become political and extremist. And in 2019, the Times published an article that explained, quote, faced with sustained opposition from Catholic conservatives in the United States who accuse him of driving traditionalists to break with the church, Pope Francis said that he hopes it doesn't come to that but isn't frightened of it either. Um, So just to break that down, this is American saying that the Pope uh, the leader of an institution that is approximately 2000 years old is not traditional enough. Um, uh, but then again, that probably shouldn't come as a surprise since in many ways the United States was founded on two things, uh, money in Jamestown, Virginia and extremist religion with the Puritans in Plymouth who believed in old Testament punishments, uh, who thought the Catholic and Anglican churches weren't pure enough and who loved living in a total theocracy. And, uh, That's where we are today, still living out that, um, you know, those uh, those genes that we this country was born with.
2: It's funny because one of the main reasons why um, having a like JFK being a Catholic president was such a big deal is back in the day, like it was thought, you know, a lot of people felt like Catholics are shady, like the KKK didn't like Catholics at one point because they're like they're not really American because they're too allegiant to the Pope and they would call them papists and stuff like that. Like whatever the Pope says they're going to do. And here it is 2021 and it's kind of like the exact opposite. It's like, we're so American. Like we don't care what the Pope says. We're going to do what we want to try to, you know, influence people to you know, they're supposed to there's supposed to be a separation from the church and state, but I can't see how you don't view this as like you're trying to influence politicians to make political decisions over the lives of many people who do not follow your faith and as well as people within the faith that don't agree on this particular issue. So it's, it's scary times. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's very much, I mean, it's specifically directed at politicians, right? Like that's, it's not just people who support abortion, like they're legit going for the politicians. Um, very scary. Um, I mean, yeah, like extremist religion, man, this country loves it.
0: I never really believed that there was a true separation between church and state. And just because of all of like the back end political bullshit that goes on and the money that circulated through these large institutions, um, I just I just feel like it's always connected. I never really believed that it was separate.
2: It's it's not like it's it's a, it's one of those things that's like put up as an American value, but it's really never really been the case.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was reading when I was doing the like the little background on the story and reading about like the Puritans, and apparent like the the people who drafted the constitution specifically were thinking of them and their like theocracy when they put uh, separation of church and state in there um they were like we don't want that (laughs) or we don't want what they have going on or a lot of
2: them were deists like they weren't they were sort of separate from i mean they were also like slave owners and didn't believe women were full people so i'm not trying to go like yay for them but People do forget like they a lot of them like were outspoken about like not really being into like churchy stuff. But you often hear people say like the U.S. is about it's a Christian nation. And Mm -hmm. it's like
1: proudly saying that
2: disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. like There's so many things that people don't like you take for granted, like the days that you have off in the week are related to like assuming that people like worship on Sunday and stuff Mm -hmm. like that.
1: No, totally. Um, I mean, even the fact that you know it's such a big deal what religion um someone is you know who not even how religious they are, just like whatever you know they identify as is is a real indicator that um religion is such a political force in this country, um like let alone like lobbyist groups and all that stuff, which is like kind of like a separate barrel of monkeys, but also like the same.
2: It's also such a, the thing that's so frightening to me about it is, um, like, I myself am not a religious person at all. Like, I guess I'm agnostic or lean atheist, like, and I'm very secular. In In my lived experience, like, being around people that are super religious, not everyone, but the like it's so important to people that it will often like override so many other things that they normally think feel whatever but because of their faith or the way that they've decided to interpret it it's like it trumps all of that like i'm not trying to say like dis- like you know malign people who have faith but just that um it's so powerful and it's so, it has such an emotional hold over people that it's, you can't, it's a very difficult to have like a reason conversation with some, if they're convinced in like heaven and hell and this and this and this. And prophecy it's like, what can you say to that?
1: Yeah. And with Trump too, we saw that, you know, this people were so, it, what what I saw happening was all of the, you know, that evangelical set being so obsessed with the like someone saying that they're they're you know supporting Christianity and like saying like um everything they want to hear while also like you know they're obsessed with Trump but he's an adulterer he you know has done all this stuff that's like very like not christian as you know it's you know I've whatever I don't I'm not christian so um but it's 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 a uh, very political
0: I think it's a very interesting point to what jasmine was saying about you know how faith sometimes dictates people um and and, and puts them in a place where they don't use their minds because they're practicing their faith I think you know I am a woman of faith i do attend church and participate in my congregation um, a lot so i think it really depends on how you're being fed right because when i grew up i went through a difference between i went back and forth between a Baptist church, a Christian church. Yeah, I went to a non-denominational church. I sent my mother. Um, I took my mother with me to a non-denominational church, and she was like, "Oh, I like this." And it just kind of gave us a chance to experience um, different spiritual and religious practices. And in my church now, uh, our leadership is um, very educated, but also very aware of the magnitude of the congregation and the people within it. And they always teach us to explore and think for ourselves, use our hearts when we make decisions about things and to be mindful of other people's faiths and practices. So this is, you know, for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm in a a congregation, a church body that definitely is global in its mindset and its view about things. Uh, And it it gets challenged by older members of the church and stuff like that as well. You know, we have to talk through things, but I appreciate the type of leadership that affords us an opportunity to challenge, challenge, you know, doctrine, if you will, and make sense of it in in our interpretation that works
2: for us. Yeah, that's great because it really is that's it. you're absolutely right They're like within any any religion that you can think of there's like a hundred different ways that you could possibly practice it
0: right right and this
2: this the what they're seeming to do like as as someone who's had experience being um brought up in an environment that is extremely like conservative and very to the point where it's like you do this to a t or else like you're like excommunicated that is it has such a hold on people you know so what these um religious leaders are doing you know basically saying like we're going to withdraw like your ability to like be fully a part of the church like that's such a i would say it's such a violent thing just it's like when you tell someone like you can't keep your faith and also like have your sexual orientation or you can't keep your faith if you believe in reproductive freedom, like where it's like, you're threatening someone with such a painful thing, like to separate them from their community. And for some people that might be their whole world might be, you grow up going to whatever, you know, religious house or like your celebrations and being shunned like that. Or, you know, it being known like publicly, like if you're a politician, everyone knows who you are. And then what happens to people that support that politician? Are they then going to have people looking at them sideways or not treating them? Like it's really. And it doesn't have to be like that, you know, like there's plenty of Catholics that don't agree with this, but it's almost like they're trying to pr- like, be like we are all Catholics or something.
0: Yeah, it's hard, you know, with organized religion based on, you know, how closely it is to uh, a more traditional, if you will. But what even is that? Right. Because even within traditions, yeah, they last forever. They've been around in in different times and and that's some of the practices or um, the doctrine. It just doesn't flow with the way life is now. And if you are not challenged to. Have an interpretation that is real. That's actually making you be a contributor in a positive way to whatever community you're a part of. I think there's something wrong with that because they have a lot of power, you know. So we have to just be careful and mindful that when we see stuff like this, we have our own brains and hearts. We serve our own God, you know. Even if if many of us believe it's the God that is over everything, if the universe, whatever it is, whoever it is that you uh, acknowledge you have your own heart and mind and will to make wise choices and to treat people with kindness, dignity, and respect.
2: Boo to this. Like, Oh, right. It's really like so irresponsible. You know, it's like worry about taking care of people in your communities. You know, why are you folk? There's so much money and energy and like, weight behind this it's like there's hungry people i'm sure that you could be helping like as a religious leader
1: yeah and even the vatican was saying i think or i think it was the vatican was like you know they don't don't make it like abortion is the only thing is the biggest issue out there right because that's not how the pope sees it it's just it's a become a huge american political focal point um divisive on purpose you know to wrap
2: rally all the conservatives or whatever man and it's like who are you like you're not god you know it's like you're it's not for you to judge people to that extent so like you're almost putting yourself in that position when you're taking these public stances like no thank you
0: yeah how about take a stand of kindness dignity and respect and leave it there (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for that story, Emily. Definitely um, a good one for debate. All right. So we're going to hop into our next music break. Um, This is a pretty cool song um, that I found a couple weeks ago for um, it was on a Juneteenth soundtrack. (laughs) The track is called Freedom and the artist is Mr. Fab and DJ Fresh. Stay tuned.
3: In light of what's going on in America today. I just want to ask a couple questions, what's freedom? I got a lot of white friends, some rich and some poor. Some I grew up with in the hood, Then my people for show. When I look at them, nah, man, I don't see color. I see my family, see my friends, see my sisters and brothers. But systematically speaking where the difference reside. In the judicial system, man, where well, all my people get fried. With three strikes, be the same as getting lynched on trees. We pull up in the same car and police pick on me. I guess I'm guilty till I'm innocent. Never given the benefit. My black skin automatically mean that I did this shit. And they don't need no witnesses. And even if you witnessed it, if they want me guilty, they find a way to make convictions sick. But it's just look back in America at political prisoners like Pratt, Gola Three, Asada, and Mumia. They want you locked, they'll never free you. What's freedom? freedom, freedom. Something that a black man in America never feel, freedom. freedom. They give us all freedom of speech, but say the wrong thing, you getting killed, freedom. freedom. Our ancestors sang, freedom. 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 And as long as we mental slaves, we'll never be free. Free as the water in my aquarium horoscope What is freedom, black man? Is that rhetorical? Weird, like when Neo had to go meet with the oracle As the world turned, music is louder than oracle All these voices in my head are people that's dead I could write a book, compose the letters All from the feds or the state And I hate the fact that never be back White privilege is real, you can never be black No matter how hard you sag And you use the word nigga You never understand the hardships of me and my niggas Imagine being po as a killer and crook Based off no evidence it's all just how you look. And in my eyes I speak on the streets that I stay. How they ain't no different than the streets of L.A. How they ain't no different than the streets of the A. How police want to kill a man and leaving like pretty Gray. Damn. What's freedom? Something that a black man in America never feel. freedom.
0: Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we'll hop right into our international news, international news segment. Jasmine, you're up.
2: So this is, um it's a recent development in a, a long-standing, ongoing issue. The information that I'm going to be sharing with you comes from The Guardian. Um, this particular article was written on Tuesday, June the 15th. Uh, the title is, Thousands of Women and Children Flee Haiti Gang Violence, UNICEF Says. Escalating gang violence has pushed nearly 8,500 women and children from their homes in Haiti's capital in the past two weeks, according to UNICEF. Officials say gangs fighting over territory in Port-au-Prince has forced hundreds of families to abandon burned or ransacked homes in impoverished communities, with many of them staying in gymnasiums and other temporary shelters that are running out of water food and items like blankets and clothes. Nearly 14,000 people in Port-au-Prince have been displaced by violence in the past nine months according to the UN office overseeing humanitarian coordination. Many expect the violence to increase as Haiti prepares for general elections scheduled for September and November. They accuse gangs of trying to boost support for certain candidates and of targeting neighborhoods that organize protests against President Jovenel Moise. Pierre Espérance, Executive Director of the Haitian National Human Rights Defense Network, said gangs control about 60% of the country's territory and that 12 massacres have been reported since 2018 in disadvantaged communities. However, he said he was especially worried about the most recent upswing in violence. It's the worst we've seen, he said. Gangs have so much power, and they are tolerated. Each day that passes with Jovenel in power, the situation is going to deteriorate. A spokesman for Moise could not be immediately reached for comment. Um, And this is some background information about the current president of Haiti, Jovenel Moise. Uh, This background information is also from The Guardian. Um, in an article called Haiti and Fresh Crisis Amid Coup Claims and Dispute Over President's Term by Peter Beaumont and Julian Borger. Um, Haiti's opposition party claims Moise should have stepped down on February 7th of this year, five years after the 2015 elections were canceled, and then rerun a year later because of allegations of fraud. They further allege that because Moise failed to hold legislative elections in 2019 and has since ruled by decree after parliament was left without lawmakers, he has violated the country's 1987 constitution. Um, and their 1987 constitution states it limits the president's term to five years. So people are counting from 2016. Um, but his supporters are counting from 2017 after he won the the rerun elections. Um, the opposition also approached the three Supreme Court judges to appoint an interim president until elections could be held. But all three were forcibly retired by decree on Sunday as Moise announced that police had foiled an attempted coup. So this is also back in um, February of 2021. Critics of Moise, including several U.S. Congress members, accused Moise of making up allegations of an attempted coup as cover for his own undemocratic actions. In 2019, a combination of Moise's decision to end fuel subsidies and also allegations over the misuse of some $2 billion that had been earmarked for social schemes, triggered large street protests against him, which in turn fueled a rise in political violence with allegations that both police and criminal gangs had been deployed. So this has been an ongoing issue like with gang violence throughout the country and um, in the current situation, like it's um, believed that these gangs are being supported by the president and being used to um, silence opposition. Uh, Earlier this year, in 2021, Moise ordered the arrest of 23 people, including a Supreme Court judge and a senior police official, after stating he is not a dictator. Hundreds of people marched through the streets of Port-au-Prince on Wednesday, February 10th, chanting, down with kidnapping, down with dictatorship, and bolstered uh, opposition demands for the president to resign. Uh, During those protests, police fired tear gas and shot in the air in an attempt to disperse protesters who pelted security officials with rocks. Um, So that's the background on what's going on um, with the current president um, has been ongoing. And so back to the more recent article about um, displacement. Gangs have infiltrated rival shanty towns, targeted police stations in recent weeks, and killed several officers. They have also raided businesses and fired on a car dealership on Monday as customers and employees fled. Hours later, Haiti's national police said they had the situation under control and were collaborating with citizens to, quote, thwart the attempts of these armed gangs wanting at all costs to create a climate of terror in the country. Businesses and schools have closed and public transportation ceased and communities most affected by the violence including Martisson and parts of Delmas, with few entering or crossing the area for fear of being killed. Doctors Without Borders said its emergency center in Martisson received more than 40 patients with gunshot wounds from June the 2nd to June 4th alone, and that its employees have had to take cover from stray bullets. The Mission and other health experts say they worry people are not seeking medical help out of fear of being injured or killed if they leave their homes, as Haiti struggles with a spike in COVID-19 cases while still awaiting its first shipment of vaccines. Meanwhile, Esperance, the human rights activist, said he did not foresee a quick solution. It will be absolutely impossible to hold elections in Haiti in 2021, he said. So, again, that was from The Guardian. Um, There are a couple links I wanted to mention. Uh, There's a magazine called, I think it's Woy, it's W O Y magazine, and it's uh, written by Haitians and members of the Haitian diaspora. So, this is one article that was written on Woy magazine. The title is Once Upon a Time in Brooklyn, and the article's author, is Valerie Jean Charles. Um, Another article that gives a lot of background to what's going on um, with President Jovenel Moise's um, term. It's entitled, Here's Why Folks Are Saying Jovenel Moise's Moise's Term Is Over and that author is Natalie Seren. Um, Both of these are on WOY Magazine and they are available in English and also in Creole. Um, There's a link tree, like for other resources through Woy Magazine. It's https colon forward slash forward slash L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash W-O-Y-M-A-G-A-Z-I-N-E. Um, there's Baji, which is Black Alliance for Just Immigration. Uh, they do a lot of work to help um, Black immigrants locally um, fighting deportation back to Haiti and to other um, Black countries. So please um, look at these types of resources to see like ways you can help. Like I know there's a long history of like the Red Cross and a lot of bigger named institutions, like the money not really going where it's supposed to go in Haiti. And that seems to be one of the big issues with the people in charge right now is mismanaging funds. So if you can connect with local people that actually know individuals that need help, like that's a better way for you to give, or they can direct you to um, places that you can trust where people will actually get assistance. Um, So yeah, that's my... Summary of what's going on. It is so unfortunate. Um,
0: thanks for that recap, by the way, Jasmine. Very good, uh, just summarizing things, because it's a long history in Haiti of different types of leadership. And it's really sad that, you know, it seems like their government has never had a term of stability for you know, like the course of the duration of someone who's in the office. Uh, When I was in grad school, I actually took a seminar specifically on Haiti and its government and how the international community has provided humanitarian assistance um, over complex situations out there with the leadership, as well as all of the um, ecological problems and earthquakes and things of that nature. And it just seems that, you know, there's so many hands in the bucket all the time. There's so many people trying to um, lead the country away from, turmoil and tribulation and it's just it's like it never really ends and you know when you speak to Haitian people they love their country it's such a beautiful place they care so much for their people and I just you know every time I hear a story about a coup or something of that nature in any country not just Haiti it just really saddens me because it's just like you know government's not the best thing But stability is, and it seems that that seems to be such a problem, specifically for children and uh, people growing up there. You know,
1: I'm I'm far from an expert on Haiti, and I really appreciated um, the summary in the background you gave, Jasmine. Um, It's an overwhelming amount of stuff going on there. It sounds like, Um, and I. I just wanted to say, I also appreciated your, your notes about, um, giving money. Um, I think I've mentioned that on recent stories I've done too, where, um, it is really important to, you know, don't just feel good about yourself cause you donated money purportedly to something, right? Like it, it really, it's a duty on, I think the, the, your end, um, as someone donating money to like do a little research and really make sure it is going where you think it's going. Cause, um you know, a lot of shady stuff in the world happens with money that people like if people aren't looking closely enough. Um, So I just wanted to note that. um, But yeah, thank you for for giving all that information.
2: Yeah, sure. And I know last week, um, we talked about the history of the US backing an overthrow of democratically elected um, government in Guatemala. And honestly, like, you could fill a library of books written about similar types of intervention, you know, like there's been a history of the U.S. propping up very violent um, dictators in Haiti, you know, then that's within people's living memory that that's happened. Many feel like it's also still happening now. Um, There's been the natural disasters with things happening where, you know, whenever there's a big issue in the news, like the Red Cross and certain other organizations, like that's what people know of. So that's what people will look to. But, you know, then you'll come to find out that, you know, something happened with that or like that was being funneled to the wrong place or like children being, you know, adopted through channels that are not fully legitimate. Like there's just There's a lot going on in Haiti, like as it is in a lot of places in the world. But um, especially if you're in the city, like there is a large um, Haitian community. And personally, what I do, like there's people that I follow online and stuff where like they're natives of the city or like they grew up half here, half there. So I feel a lot more comfortable like when they're saying like I'm raising funds for my family or for like this family in this area. Um, that at least there's a better chance that it's going to that but also you know keep (sighs) the U.S. is involved in so much it can be easy to lose track but you can not just with money but be aware of the ways that politicians are supporting things that you don't really support um, and trying to hold them accountable if you believe in the electoral process. Like I think the protests that they had were incredible you know that people were willing to go out in the street and face violence in order to you know try to get this man out of office so there's ways that you can support them like not just with money but also educating yourself and trying to put similar pressure on your local officials or at the presidential level or whomever to try to make some more permanent changes
0: very true and also you know supporting Haitian businesses as well um, a lot of, you know, I live in, in Flatbush and there is a sector of Flatbush they call Little Haiti. Um, there's lots of families here that's, you know, send things home and support their families there as well. So, you know, you never know who you're helping by doing that as well.
2: Right, exactly. It's a great culture, you know, especially with the their history of getting themselves free and like being the first fully free like black nation like in the Western Hemisphere. Like that's something they don't really teach you in school. You know, you don't really learn about the history of, you know, an island full of people that freed themselves from the French against very terrible odds. So yeah, like support your local Haitian community during this time. Um, I'll put all the links that I mentioned. I'll put them on our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces. Um, Our Instagram page is at objection to the rule. No spaces, no punctuation. So I'll be sure to share um, the links that we mentioned this week on the show um, with you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Jasmine, for that great recap and the historical view um, as well. And the links, um, you always do such a great job with that. And then finally, for our
1: good news, Emily, what you got for us today? All right. So uh, the story comes from a June 4th article in The Guardian by Alice Hutton titled Native American Tribe in Maine Bies Back Island taken 60 years, uh, sorry, taken 160 years ago. Uh, the Passamaquoddy is a tribe of 3,700 Native Americans who um, had lived on um, Kuwasui Kusum- Monique, um, a.k.a. Pine Island, for at least 10,000 years up until the mid-1800s. Uh, quote, it's 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 a spiritually important place for the tribe, filled with graves from devastating smallpox, cholera, and measles outbreaks caused by white settlers. In 1794, it was officially granted to the tribe by Massachusetts for their service during the Revolutionary War. But after 1820, when Maine became its own state, colonialists uh, changed its title, voiding the treaty. In the 1851 census, there were 20 Passamaquoddy living there. In 1861, there were none. Uh, By 2021, they had not only lost all but 130,000 acres of their original three million. Um, They hadn't stepped foot on Pine Island in 160 years. Uh, The island was stolen from us, and it's been every chief's goal ever since to return it. Um, said Chief William Nicholas, 51, leader of the tribe's Indian township reservation for the last 11 years. Uh, But then Kuwasui Monique uh, was uh, listed for sale by a real estate agent on privateislandsonline.com and Chief Nicholas, quote, spotted the advert on a shop notice board on July 4th last year. In March, with a grant from conservation charities, the tribe raised uh, $355,000 and finally bought the island back. Donald uh, Saktoma, the tribe's historic preservation officer, added, our concept of land ownership is that nobody owns land. Instead, we have a sacred duty to protect it. This is like finding a lost relative. The reclaiming of Pine Island is the latest successful land-back attempt by U.S. Indigenous groups following the loss of 1.5 billion acres since 1776, resulting in poverty um, as well as violence and attempts at cultural destruction. Quote, For the Pasamaquoddy, uh, who lost members to COVID nineteen, reacquiring Pine Island during a pandemic is significant. It was during the Great Dying, when ninety percent of the of um, when ninety percent died from European diseases between the fifteen hundreds to the eighteen hundreds, that the island came to their rescue. In an act of self sacrifice, infected members quarantine on the neighboring island of uh, Muinui Monique. Um, that was renamed Gordon's Island by the colonialists who took it, but which was returned by a paper company in 2003. Um, so, um, you know, there's a lot of atrocities that have happened against native peoples, as we talked about many times on the show, including um, ongoing ones. Um, but this was a nice little, not so very little, obvi- um, actually, but just like a nice, I think, chapter, you know, to the the efforts people are trying to make to, to do Actual you know, not just saying, "Oh, we're sorry, but like actually
2: trying to do something about it, yeah, that's great news for them. I hope it catches on more throughout the country,
0: yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of reclaiming to do, so um, I'm happy that these are the stories that we get to hear and know uh, about you know I'm sure it's it means so much to um those people and you know the surrounding community as well because. It's just so much healing to be done. So reclaiming of lands is huge uh, for the Native American community. And I'm glad that that is happening there in Maine. All right, guys, we have made it to the end of this week's episode of Objection to the Rule. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org, on the Radio Free Brooklyn app, or on Spotify. Listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. The final track of the day is dedicated to all the fathers and father figures, grandfathers, uncles. Uh, soon-to-be fathers, and our fathers in heaven as well. Shout out to my daddy. This is uh, year one, going through this whole Father's Day time without him. So I'm a little emotional, but nonetheless, I'm still celebrating all the wonderful men in my life, in the life of others. So this track is for you. It's a classic from James Brown. It's called Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye.